0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempey, and I am so glad you're here. Welcome, everyone. If you're new, we are so glad that you found us and everyone else. Welcome back. So every show, I start with a little story about something that happened to me this week. And this week is no different. I have to share a story about a conversation I had with a mom after I, I did a workshop. Finally, we're getting back into our live in-person face-to-face workshops. <laughs> I'm so excited. And we had a big group. And afterwards, a mom came up and talked to me about what we had just learned in the workshop and in our Kids' Brains and Screens Workshop, we go through a lot of information on brain development, executive functioning, and how to develop that in your kid's brain, and how none of that really happens on a screen very well, and and just the different issues around screens and around the warning signs. So this mom has three small kids at home, and she said, Melanie, you know, you're talking about video games, and you're talking about smartphones, and we're not quite there yet. But she said, the thing that has really tripped me up is when we got an iPad in our house. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I feel your pain. I hear this story so much. For some reason, we think that iPads are so wonderful and educational. And in many respects, you know, it's just like having a phone. It's like giving your six-year-old a phone. (laughs) And so she said, this iPad has changed our life. I find myself arguing with my kids all the time. They are constantly searching YouTube videos on this thing. And I have no idea where they're going and what to do. And so then I allot them, you know, each their time limit for the day. And then what happens is everybody's arguing. She got three more minutes than I did. And there's all these arguments around it. And our guest today, I'm so excited, is here to talk to us a little bit about the research that's being done on what's happening with kids. And, you know, especially I think young kids that are being exposed to all these things. But when when that mom came to me, and she said, you know, you need to talk more about iPads. <laughs> I thought, oh, great. I'm going to add that to my list. We'll make some more slides. And so I'm so excited to have Dr. Linda Man today with us. I heard Linda speak a couple years ago at a conference. And boy, I ate up everything she said. I was so excited because she was talking about research around technology in middle school kids. And so if you've been to our workshop, you've heard me share some of her information. But she is a senior research scientist at the Wesley Centers for Women. And she is the director of the Youth Media and Wellbeing Research Lab. Now, I'm going to repeat that. The Youth Media and Well-Being Research Lab, that just sounds like a podcast in itself to just talk about what that means. <laughs> Her research interests include technology and adolescent health, digital citizenship, innovative research methods to include overlooked and hidden populations and how social identities affect well-being. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for having me here, Melody. Linda. Okay, Just reading your creds here. this there's so much information and in even these few sentences that we are dying to hear about <laughs> because, you know, you're up there doing all of this research that is helping families understand how to manage technology in their house. And I think there's so much that We don't even know that we don't even know. We don't even know what we're supposed to know, but you are figuring it out for us. So I just want to say thank you so much. Without the research, it's very hard to find solutions to the best way to do this. So first of all, let's talk about how did you decide to focus on the issue of technology and kids specifically? I think middle school is sort of your sweet spot, isn't it? It it is,
1: and yes, my dissertation was actually about mainstream media. This is before Facebook was even a thing, and and even during MySpace was just starting out. and And so, my background has been in adolescent development, and a lot of the the main um, core you know competencies that are developed in adolescence is peer relationships. And lo and behold, we have this um, technology infused culture that has now brought together peers on an, in a digital world. And so I've been wanting to follow this world and observe it and analyze it and understand what, how it affects people's health and well-being, because a lot of the, the question um, of the day is, is you know, the fear around you know, what are these you know, devices doing to our, our interactions, our live interactions, our family environments, our school environments. It's, it's just a, a ripe you know, sort of arena to, to look into that. And middle school is my sweet spot, mainly because, you know, that is the time when, you know, in the beginning, when 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 parents, you know, sort of are very, very um, closely monitoring and restricting technology use when they're when the kids are really er- um, young. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, there's this sort of. Natural dance between okay, I like, got to give them a little autonomy, but also we want to make sure that they're safe and and you know nothing bad is going to happen to them. And there's this sort of sweet spot even for parents too between elementary and middle school, where this is when you start deciding, okay, when are you going to get a phone. Other people are getting phones. Should we, we should we do that too? You know, they're watching these YouTube videos. They're watching these shows, these Netflix. You know, things. Are, are they going to sign up for Snapchat when is it an appropriate time? And so not only are kids sort of grappling with all this gray area of, you know, who's doing what and am I going to be left behind? But also parents are are struggling to know what is good for their own families and for their own kids. And a lot of other parents don't know where to go to to get that leadership and, and guidance. And so this is why um, I've, I have this current study funded by National Institutes of Health that follow middle school kids and their parents um, about how they're navigating their early social media use. I've, I've been looking at all kinds of um, sites, especially Instagram and Snapchat. I mm-hmm. have to say that that's really more of my specialty, but I've been branching out into YouTube lately. And I, I loved your your example um, at, the, at the start <laughs> of, the, of the podcast because yes. it's so true that YouTube kind of sneaks in there as an innocuous, sort of educational, kind of a fun babysitting, sort of a, a place to hang out that isn't as scary as maybe like primetime television where, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that are kind of not age appropriate. And, and you start off, you know, as parents, you know, sitting with your child, co-viewing things. And so you know exactly what they're doing in the early days, you know, there's Sesame Street and there's all this educational content, you know, ABC mouse and, you know, all those things yeah. that we, we've yeah. heard of, you know, um, that could help us, you know, grow them academically. But then there's this time period when you start to realize that, oh, they could really hang out on their own and I could do other things, you know, as parents, you know, <laughs> you know, we're strapped for time and strapped for resources sometimes, especially during the pandemic, where we were kind of relying on all kinds of things we didn't think we would ever rely on. And and I have to say, it's not just parents not knowing what people are doing, what kids are doing on YouTube, researchers also it's sort of like an understudied area. Mm. Um, People are more focused on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, the influencers of those arenas, because there's all these peers that could, you know, kind of influence them in, in positive or negative ways. But YouTube, you know, has its own set of sort of influencer culture, right? And And there's so and there are controls that parents could could set on YouTube, you know, age appropriate um, content. But most of the time, parents do not have do not know about those controls, do not um, realize that their kids need those controls. Yeah. Um, And if the kids are browsing without logging in and and having advertisers know how old they are, they could be exposed to all kinds of things that are not age appropriate. And so that's why some of our research right now is
0: focusing on YouTube that okay we've got to talk a little bit more about that and what your research is showing but i just want to say it is a pandora's box being a mom of four myself and speaking to moms across the country and really being on the front end of this issue there is just this desperate look on every parent's face when they when they discover like oh my gosh this is what my kid has been watching it's so devastating and yet they they never intended any of it to happen, and I mean, even on YouTube Kids or whatever, where you can, you know, you think that's a little bit safer. It's not. None of it is is safe. As far as will ad creep in, will there be just sort of a rabbit trail down some path that you don't want your kids to go? But I do think that this transition time that you just described a minute ago, the transition between the little innocent play on an iPad, for example, versus middle school. Now we're transitioning into more and more curiosities, more searches, different searches. And I want to talk about that first. And then I want to talk about this YouTube study that you're doing. But let's talk about how... The climate changes, and this is where I tell parents all the time that it's these transitional years that are the hardest because we kind of get in a groove when they're little and we think we have our routine, we think this is okay, but then all of a sudden things aren't okay anymore. And when you um, presented at the conference I attended, you had some really good research on what happens around, you know, fifth and sixth grade that's different. From what happens in the later years of middle school. So let's touch on that for a second. Just discuss the overall searches, because I think that would apply. I mean, they're searching on the different social media platforms, but really just the internet in general. And so when they plug in certain words, they're going to get YouTube videos, right? That's going to be part of what they get. So talk about that research study that you did that described the difference between the sixth grade and the eighth grade.
1: Yes, so um, the younger the kids are, the more likely they are to, to, to sort of search for things that are tied to their close relationships, like their family situations. You know, what, what are we going to do on family vacation? How do I survive a family road trip? That kind of thing. Or like if they have a pet, maybe they're, they're going to be, you know, searching for um, innocent things like, oh, cute, funny, adorable, you know, animal videos. And then, as they get older, they start realizing that oh, there's this whole peer context, or, or some so and so told me in the hallway about this this video that they can't stop they can't stop um, looking at, and they dare you to look at it. And so, of course, you know your curiosity doesn't get the best of you, and you're gonna go look at it. But then there's some things that you you see you can't unsee, <laughs> and it's too late almost. Um, but there's that peer pressure. So as you get into middle school that developmental period is so critical in 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 two main ways it's it's that you there's peer pressure to kind of conform and to have people validate you like you want validation that you're not abnormal like you just want to kind of fit in you want to be like everybody else you don't want people to to kind of point you out as something that is kind of out of the norm or make fun of you for for being really different that's that's really hard in this digital age too cuz so many things are happening digitally you know what people are watching online what people are doing what people are signing up for a lot of it is about technology and the influences that that kids are are, are experiencing and so as they get older some of the topics that they are looking at maybe um not not necessarily more risqué like like there are like more violent things that they're more gravitating towards they're looking at things that are more appropriate for older teens, perhaps at maybe high school, like even just looking at content that's meant for high school. A lot of middle schoolers just aren't ready for that full-on sexual relationships kind of talking. I mean, there's the, in middle school, it's more about, you know, separating yourself from your family, from your friends and who are your best friends and who can you count on and that kind of thing, rather than, you know, talking about condom use, you know, all of a sudden (laughs) in high school.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it makes them really stressed. I mean, I think this is where all this anxiety and stress is coming from, because they're they're kind of going to this different level that they weren't meant to go to.
1: Yes, and and in middle school, as as we all know, that's around the time that peak of puberty, and so people are really thinking about their bodies, looking at other people's bodies, worrying about that that they're abnormal. So of course, the curiosity about looking up content on the internet about their bodies, which could be a healthy way of looking and understanding about bodily changes that are normal. But it could lead to other things. You know, search engines can could could detect that you're interested in certain keywords, and they, it could lead you down a different, different path. Sure, as you know, rabbit another rabbit rabbit hole.
0: Right, right. So in that study, you did you were able to just show in a concrete way how these changes are occurring and how the searches are occurring. And then when parents listen to that, and when we get that information, thank you so much. We. Are able to to just put two and two together <laughs> and it's like oh so this is now why we're struggling with these things this is why i feel like i don't even know my kid anymore this is why you know i'm like appalled that they typed in this word in their search but really we we shouldn't be we should just expect it as part of normal development it absolutely is very normal to be curious and to search for that novel content So then this leads to YouTube. Let's talk about YouTube a little bit more. I I think that you're exactly right. I think that this has been missed. I think we see YouTube the way I see it is as many adults, well, I'm going to go figure out how to fix my car and I'm going (laughs) to do do it myself or, um, you know, a recipe or something that I'm just not sure about that I'm using YouTube as a tool. It's a wonderful tool to help me learn something. Explain with the adolescent brain and even with with the younger kids, what are they using it for? Because I'm quite sure they're not using it as a tool. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, some of them are. Using I mean, it some as of them D- are DIY. Yes, yeah. yeah,
1: some of them want to know how to, you know, make those, you know, hacks for helping your your pants feel fit better. You know, right. they actually are looking at some of those things, <laughs> and especially the younger ages, they love looking at those unwrapping of those, you know, oh hidden gifts. They can just do it for hours, and and they're just um, repetitiveness is not a is not an issue in their in childhood years because they're. Their brain is, is wired to want to see um, something over and over again to understand it better, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but in, but as you get older, you start to want more novelty because you, you've you right. been exposed to a lot of that that kind of thing. You want to you're kind of curious about the things that might be a little bit risque, a little bit um, like maybe the parents, you know, you would feel uncomfortable asking the parents about that. And maybe you'd want to go down that path. Sometimes it has to do with exploring your identity. You know, like, like I want to know, like maybe they have a, a, they're really interested in Minecraft and they realize that all their friends are on Minecraft, but you're in such a low level that you feel inadequate about your skills of getting to the next level. For instance, you know, you can switch this with any other game like Fortnite or, and sometimes you go down those YouTube and those influencers that show you how to be a better gamer. And then you start to realize that, oh my gosh, identify with this person who is oh my gosh they're so so helpful to me they want to help me get better they're almost like my friend and so in a way there's this kind of a a surrogate friendship that happens with Mm. influencers that maybe these people that really want to to be belong there's a sense of this yearning for belonging this yearning to be a part of a community that that you gravitate towards like maybe a gaming community, for instance, just mm-hmm. as an example, to to learn skills so that you you can kind of show off with your friends or just to kind of feel like you belong because everybody else is so so good at it. Right. And so it, it's sort of like an identity development building exercise looking at these YouTube videos. And of course, they have algorithms in, in YouTube and they'll they'll keep sending you things that they think that you're going to be interested in because it makes them money. And so that's that's where I think a lot of times people when I've when I've interviewed middle schoolers about the algorithms and if they if they're aware of it if they're conscious of it and and how it kind of leads them down to hours and hours of of content that they didn't even realize and and some of them are aware of it but other others of them feel like they're in control like the more that they are clicking on things They're realizing, oh, look, look how much I'm affecting my -hmm. experience on this, on this iPad, that the more I tell them how much I am interested in this topic, the more that I get what I want. And so I think it's really interesting to understand their thought process around it.
0: They feel more in control when really the algorithms are in control, but they, and that is the way the algorithms are written Mm -hmm. to make you feel like you're in control. Right. Mm -hmm. That's and, And that gives you dopamine and that gives you all these good feelings and you get the autonomy, you get the sense of belonging, like you said, the community, the competency, all of the mastery of these skills, and that just feeds it even more. But ultimately, I mean, we have to be honest. Ultimately, this is all about the ads and, and the income. I mean, come on. I mean, people (laughs) click.
1: Yep. Yep. It's the number of people you can get to, to watch your channel, no matter what you do to get those
0: views. It's almost like anything goes. So a lot of people ask me, a lot of parents will ask me, you know, so what's so wrong with YouTube? I mean, it's, it's really not that big a deal. And I would say it's like anything else on the internet. No, there's initially there, there are things that that there can be good things that come from it, of course, but the way our kids' brains are wired and the way YouTube is wired, it won't take long before they're down a pathway that you really don't want them to be and Then we have to ask this question: Where do we want our kids to be getting their primary influences from? Do we really want YouTube to become the parent because kind of that's kind of the role that YouTube or any of these um other platforms as kids get older. You know, with TikTok and all the Instagram and Snapchat and all that, it's, that's really becoming kind of the surrogate parent. Like you said a minute ago, the surrogate friendships, right? That's true. But then also as parents, we're sort of relinquishing our our influence as well. And we have to step back and try to figure out when the water started boiling, right? <laughs> because we got in the water and it was cool <laughs> and it all yep. felt okay. But then the water starts boiling. And what do you see is the biggest problems that that come up with kids who are I guess, being parented by YouTube. I don't know if that's too strong to say, oh, really? but when that becomes sort of their go-to place, hey, this is, instead of going to my parents, I'm going to go to YouTube and figure out the answer to these questions I have. So what are the biggest problems that you see?
1: Well, in our current research that we're conducting uh, based on over a thousand middle school youth, sixth to eighth grade mainly, who indicated on their survey who what their favorite YouTube channels were. And then we ended up content coding, coding them to understand what the violence level was, profanity, sexual themes, bullying, kind of negative themes and images that came up. And we we found that um, there's a, a wide mixture of people being supposed to low versus medium versus high risk. And we also looked at how much time they're spending on YouTube compared to what kind of content they're being exposed to. And, you know, one of my my main things that I like to take away point is, is the quantity of time is important to note, but also the quality of the content. And so in terms of the quantity of time, a lot of people are wondering, is there a, a sort of a, a curfew or like a, a time maximum that mm-hmm. we could kind of adhere to? There isn't an actual magical number for that makes sense for every single family out there. It really depends on your, your kid's self-regulation skills and your kid's like, you know, sense of fear of missing out and all that kind of stuff. But in our research, we've been finding that the longer they're spending on sites, streaming sites like YouTube, you know, and we're talking hours here, like three hours compared to six hours, for instance, the higher the likelihood That they have depressive symptoms, the higher likelihood that they have online social anxiety, that they have more loneliness, and they also have uh, more likely to have poor academic self-efficacy. And we looked at the kind of videos that they were exposed to on YouTube. The more that they were on YouTube, the less likely they were to look at educational videos. So so if you're ever wondering, oh, they're just looking at educational videos for six hours, it's probably not the case. It's They're looking at other videos that are more like about violence or um, that has violent content or it has age, maybe inappropriate content, like maybe things that are geared towards college um, students. And I'm talking about middle school here in terms of the users. Now, when we looked at the quality of the content, we looked at the risky levels of YouTube and we, we try to compare, you know, high risk Um, content to the lower and medium risk, we're finding that parental monitoring really makes a difference. So the higher the risky content that the kids were exposed to, that their favorite channels were were telling us um, that they were exposed to, the the less likely the parents knew when their kids were on the internet, um, the less likely that they had internet blocks in place, you know, kind of firewalls and YouTube safe settings. Also, they had less time limits on their phone use and their internet use. The ones that were the lower risk chose to allow their children to have their smartphone at a later age. And so it, it kind of gave us this indication that parental knowledge about what's happening on YouTube does make a difference in our study in terms of the the risky content. And And, and I'm hoping that that will be a message that could give, give people a little bit of a of a a glimmer of hope that there's there's some kind of influence that that you might have on um, preventing them from some of that risky content. Our current research on YouTube has been finding that the more time spent in middle school on streaming sites like YouTube and Netflix, the higher the likelihood of kids being depressed, having online social anxiety, loneliness, and poor academic self-efficacy. And so those are kind of just sort of indications to parents that if some of these things are happening, they're kind of coinciding together at the same time. We don't know what comes first, though. And so it, it's just important to note that sometimes the more time spent, and sometimes it's hours more, like it's twice as long, like three hours versus six hours on a school night.
0: Right. But that adds up so quickly. So go over those things again. So they're, they're more depressed. Yes. More socially anxious hmm
1: more lonely and more um, they're more they're less able to feel sort of a sense of agency with their academics like maybe they feel kind of like powerless with how well they're doing in school Wow yeah so that's something for educators to also take note to
0: wow what is that about what do you think in your gut after being in the space for so long why would that sense of self Advocacy. I know exactly what you're talking about. Just their confidence to troubleshoot when you're learning, because learning is really hard work.
1: Learning is hard. Oftentimes, you bump into things that you didn't realize you weren't very good at. You know, there's something something magical in the elementary school years where you have this this sweet zone where you're you're starting to learn about all the really cool things in life that you can be a part of. But then you start realizing. In middle school, that the sheep's and the goats start to to separate. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't be good at everything, mm. and then and then that's when people start feeling like, oh my gosh, I used to be so happy in science class, and now I'm suddenly just flailing because I I I've I missed the boat somehow. And then you start to feel less confident, less less um, able to feel like you can never catch up. And so sometimes you might escape into other things that, you know, is easy on your brain, it's easy on your self esteem, you might want to watch other people in their lives going forward, and you can kind of laugh at somebody else's life, you know, kind of looking messed up. And so I could see it kind of being related, not necessarily being caused by, um, but really, there's there's a correlation between, you know, wanting to understand what other people are doing in, in life and kind of escaping from the own problems that you're having.
0: So a lot of parents say, well, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Um, Did I have an anxious kid that just went to YouTube or did my kid go to YouTube to get anxious? And I personally think that the screens are causing these problems because we didn't have all this. I mean, you just got to step back and look at our society in general. We had kids that were way less anxious before all of these handheld screens were put in their cribs, right? From the time that they're little on the high chair. Like I know parents that say, well, my kids can't eat without their iPad. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is a red flag, right? Yeah. And so we can kind of argue some of the nitpick details around, you know, is it a causation thing versus is it really, a, you know, what kind of problem it is? And I just want to say to parents out there that we really love your research, Linda. Oh my goodness, we love it. But there are parts of our parenting common sense that tell us we don't need a whole lot more research to tell us. <laughs> Convince but, you. but I love that you have the research <laughs> because it's like validating. But I think that we are sometime we argue the wrong things. Like the point is our kids are more anxious and they're more depressed and they're struggling. And I hear even in the last few weeks with school coming to a close, I've never heard this before. But I'm hearing from our parent group that their kids have to take a stress day off of school. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) why are they doing this? Well, because exams are coming. And I think what you just said really kind of helps me understand how they feel like they have more to lose. They're in this Mm. kind of developmental stage. Like you said, when they were in elementary school, everything's new and everything's fun and they're learning about animals and all the birds out there in spring and Mm -hmm. flowers and whatnot. But then they hit middle school, they're exposed to so many things on social media, you know, and YouTube, all being part of that, that they're feeling overwhelmed. I know some kids that I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking, you know, Linda, I'm thinking they're just trying to read the whole internet Right? <laughs> I'm like, you cannot read the internet. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. That's a very anxious thought, right there. But I think that kids are getting, just from my view, really, really anxious and overwhelmed with all this information. And thing, something that can be good to start can quickly go downhill. And I just, this is just fascinating that you're actually doing the surveys and I'm very interested in this latest one that you're talking about here with, with these kids. What else would you say? I mean, what do you, is this study done? Is it, are you going to, where is it in the scope of getting it finished?
1: Yes, we are in the process of pulling it together to submit to a journal. And so this is actually pre pre pre-publishable kind of data that I wanted to kind of share. We're going to share it in, in conferences coming up later in the year. Um, and so it's kind of like fresh off, you know, the 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 data analysis, you know, it's not quite in the press yet, but, but I have a feeling that it'll be something that people will, will want to know more about because it it kind of goes across many different age groups and different kinds of parenting stages. One of our, um, goals is to kind of give a sense of to parents of something intervenable that they can sort of have some kind of grasp on because you know it it doesn't feel um, feasible to kind of limit the whole internet world on on your kid like like you you can't protect them from every single thing Mm -hmm. but one but the things that we we could say that is showing in our research is that you know the more that you know when your kids are on the internet, the more that they have internet blocks in place to keep them safe, the more time limits there are on phone and internet use. And the longer you wait to give them a smartphone in the first place, the less risky the YouTube content is that they're consuming in middle school. And so at least you can get that sort of sense that there's some kind of sense of you can make a difference you know can, you can have influence on on your kids without knowing every single thing that they're doing and every single click that they're they're having at least these sure. basic sort of controls can kind of keep them out of that really danger danger zone
0: i totally agree and i and i love the way that you put that 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 the older that they're getting the more risky content they're getting into that's just the natural progression and we of course cannot shield and protecting guide from every single thing that's going to happen to them out there. And that's not what we want to do, of course. But I think what parents are missing is their ability to structure a little more of their, their kids' experiences. And what I mean by that is to structure things like their social needs and their social life to be more offline than online. We're missing that. It's not that it's all bad, but we're missing the in-person experiences. And the more that we pull our entertainment offline and pull our social lives offline, just the healthier we're going to be all across the board. We need to talk more about that. We need to talk more in our culture about not depending on the internet world for everything. We need to talk about how we can present options for more non-screen activities. And it's not that we're running away from the screens. There will always be screens. And everyone listening, if you don't know by now, you probably already know that my teenagers don't have smartphones and they are doing just fine. They're they, they are not depressed. They are not anxious. If they get stressed over something at school, we talk about it. It's very much of a more of a slow motion kind of situation. <laughs> it's not... Oh out of control, I guess, because they're not comparing themselves to everybody in the the world. I think what you you said a few minutes ago about how they really like to watch other kids like play games. This is a big question. Parents ask me, why does my son yeah. spend hours watching someone play a game? You know, like he's a gamer and he likes to play, but he would rather watch somebody play. And I'm like, that's always been a little bit of a mystery to me.
1: A <laughs> so. yeah, low social risk, right? They don't have to be a loser. They can watch somebody else have all this stress and anxiety and they can kind of, you know, kind of peer into that world, you know, um, and
0: protect themselves yeah. I'm so glad yeah. you answered that. That is such a great answer. I mean, <laughs> like, of course, that makes totally. <laughs> sense. I mean, that makes total sense that it's more fun to watch because they're not feeling as anxious, you know, behind the controller having to win all the time and have that pressure on them. And they're still getting some of the dopamine rush and some of the things they get when they watch, even watch these games. So that's fascinating that thank you for sharing that that concept with me because I keep getting that question over and over, but this has just been fabulous today. Oh my goodness. The time of course always flies by when we're having fun and, you know, we're discussing all of these things as we get the science to sort of merge with what we're experiencing in our own homes. And that's what we're trying to do here at ScreenStrong. We're trying to really help parents not panic, but to understand more of the science. And Linda, you have just shed so much light on this today. We love your research. We love everything that you're doing and that you care so much about this topic. And we're just so glad that you do. I'm so happy that there are people out there that are devoting their, their expert life here to this field. Let me just throw this question as we wrap up. Do you think that it's doable to delay smartphones through adolescence? I, I, that's where we land here at We Screen Strong. We, We just think that we can delay this and the way we describe it, Linda, is that we just want to kind of do a detour around some of the potholes (laughs) that are in the road and when kids have a little more executive function under their belt, when their brains are a little more connected, when they have more attachment to their families and more self esteem, you know, they know a little bit more about who they are, then it's a little bit easier for them to manage. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I hear you uh, that the more we can delay um, this intrusion into our homes mm-hmm. of, of somebody, like of this, these devices and these internet sites that might really take a hold of, of our kids in ways that we, we never saw them um, before. I, I could see the appeal of that. And, and I, I would say, in general, every Every home has its own special circumstances in which mm-hmm. this could could or could not work. I would say thinking about educating our, our young people about the social side of social media, it's meant to connect in a positive way. And when it's not a positive experience, when there's feelings of inadequacy or feelings mm-hmm. of missing out and com- mm-hmm. social comparison that are detrimental to the mental health, then it's not... The connector that was meant to be, and so that's, that's right. when you would you would remove that as a stressor in somebody's life. Just like you would remove them uh, a child from a sports team that in which it was a negative experience because they people were 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 teasing them and bullying them. Then you would do that in the this digital context as well right. to to you know make sure that your your child has positive influences and and has has ways to grow their self esteem you know in a healthy way.
0: No, oh, that's a really, really good answer. And you're exactly right. When we look at other areas of our kids' lives, if there's a group of kids or a peer group that's really not being positive and we've tried and we've helped them to work through certain things and it's still not working, we have to step in as parents and say, hey, we're going to you know, take a break from that group right now mm-hmm. until everybody grows up. <laughs>
1: a little bit. Right. And and in the technology world, it could actually be a lot simpler. <laughs> you could just hide them, you can defund <laughs> them, you can, you know, you could deactivate accounts, you could take away, you know, devices or delay
0: devices. So it, right. it actually, it almost is simpler than going It is their more simple. And <laughs> yeah, I hear, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. And I think it's really, you're hitting on a really good point that the, the simple path really is probably the best path in general when you're dealing with kids and growing up and making all these parenting decisions. And, and my other word of advice is if you've got any doubts at all, just just wait, just delay, you know, until you don't have that gut feeling anymore that it's going to be hard and, you know, tough on your kids. But I do think that just about any screen problem out there can be solved by spending more time in person with your kids and to get your kids' friends together and more in-person time together. I think that's such a healing force that we aren't taking advantage of enough. Of course, with the pandemic and with all the time that we have spent on screens in the last year, year and a half, our kids have gotten the brunt of this deal. This has not fared very well for them. I always say, you know, that if they were on the edge, they probably went over the edge. (laughs) You know, if they, (laughs) if they weren't, if they were just casual users, they're probably at risk now. Everybody kind of stepped <laughs> up a notch, you know, but I really appreciate your, your, your research. And I appreciate that you're actually putting data around, around this. It's so helpful. It It is just so helpful for parents to understand that they're not the only ones and, you know, parents are very lonely in this, in this place. So as we wrap up, the, the last thing I'd love for you to do is just some, final encouraging words for parents who, you know, Linda may be caught in this trap where their kids are stuck in the tech bubble, I call it. A lot of people, you know, try to say, well, if you take them off their screens, they're going to be in a bubble. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just the opposite. They're kids that are stuck in their bubble. They're stuck in their technology bubble and they can't get out. And they are getting more depressed and anxious. And there's a lot of things going on. So, what do you? What are some just final encouragements, just from your view, where you sit with the research? You know, what final encouraging words can you offer or tips for parents? Absolutely. Um, to me, the motivation behind the internet use
1: or the phone use or the tablet use is really key. And so, my sort of tip for you all kind of addresses two different things at the same time. So, not only do you want to know more about what's going on um, with with kids on the technology use and, and you can find out more about why they're really in, intrigued by those gamer you know gamer you know sessions or why they have to you know continue with their streaks on snapchat or yeah. why that influencer on instagram is so important to how you feel about the way you look um the more you talk about it with with your with your tweens and teens the more that you understand where they're at developmentally and then maybe you can find a, another solution that is an offline solution to kind of explore some of those some of those topics and also that there's there's studies that show that the kids that are experiencing problematic internet use the ones where they really are having trouble in school they're having trouble going to sleep at night because of their internet use it's more likely that their their family situations are um, there's a negative sort of family environment. There's some kind of a family closeness issue. So even just talking to their kids about their technologies and their motivations for wanting to stay connected could help you get closer as a family and get closer to understanding each other. They can tell you their concerns. You can tell you their concerns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a dynamic sort of monitoring of each other as you as you get older together in this technology world and exposure to different things and so that's what i would recommend yeah
0: i love that because that just goes so in line with all of our talks and all of our research that we present on family attachment and if that family attachment like you said that connecting you know, with your kids, if, if you're just kind of lost and you don't know why they're doing all this or what's happening or, you know, what they're doing on online, then it's going to be very hard for them to manage it and really to heal and to reverse some of the problems that you may be having in your home. Um, like we said today, that that just spending more time with your kids is going to help so much. going to take us, closing our lids on our laptops and you know putting our phones away too so we can carve out m- this more intentional time to spend with our kids so they are not having to go search down the rabbit hole for things that they don't know what they're going to get and we don't know what they're going to get so i really appreciate that that that's a really fabulous tip to end this with so we have the research and we have this the science that is really helping us figure out how to kind of control the the ship here. We got to tweak the rudder. We got to, we got to tweak it a little bit and spend more, more time together as a family. And these years, of course, they go by so fast. And when you think that high school is only 48 months, I'm here to tell you that you can do anything for 48 months. So <laughs> it's not that hard. I it's not that, that. hard. That's, you know, we're, we're so anxious as parents too, Linda. We're, oh, yeah. we're getting more anxious. Absolutely. Oh no, my kids are going to get left out and they're going to be weirdos if they don't have all this stuff. I'm here to tell you, nah, that doesn't happen. They, they won't. Err on this other side of taking it slow for their sake and give your kids a break and give them the freedom to get a big break off this stuff. Uh, hey, I wish somebody give me a break. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> now you're hooked. <laughs> I know. I I need a few days <laughs> off myself. Uh, we all we yeah. all need a break from it. Linda, thank you so much. Thank you for coming today, and and please stay in touch with me when you have new studies. I want to hear about them, and we want to talk about them and bring you back. So thank Excellent. you so much. Thanks for having me. I learned a lot by just talking with you today too. I hope that you all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends. Head over to our website to donate and learn more about our ScreenStrong Challenge and the free Kids, Brains, and Screens 101 educational experience that we have on our website now. You just go to our website, ScreenStrong.com, and click on the Learn tab, and you will find this fabulous free learning experience. Also, make sure to join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where you'll find support from other parents just like you who need help. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong.